Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 132. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about frameworks for managing student discipline. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out my posts or my books at my website at williamdparker.com. It was during my second year as a high school assistant principal back in the early 2000s that I received a notice one morning that a number of students were missing items from their lockers. And upon further investigation, I discovered that in one hallway of our school, an entire row of lockers had been broken into and the contents were missing from several. And thankfully, we had some cameras in that section of the building. So I began watching film. Rewinding from the time school was dismissed the day before and viewing until the morning of the report. And finally, I found footage of several students late the evening before. And all I could see was their silhouettes in the darkness breaking into these lockers. And this was the time of the night when we offered an evening credit recovery class. And for the most part, Because I could only see their silhouettes, I wasn't exactly sure who it was, but I was able to begin identifying them as I pulled in some of my staff members and teachers who could help me match who we were looking at to the names on that evening class roll. So after the day of classes were over and kids had gone home from our day school, I stayed late that evening to talk to the teacher in charge of our evening classes and begin meeting one-on-one with each student who had been suspected of being involved in breaking into those lockers. So as you can guess, my entire day of when I would normally be observing teachers, supervising the school, the other responsibilities that I had as an assistant principal were taken up with this entire day of trying to figure out what had happened, and now an entire evening. Well, as I began to question students into the night, most of them were cooperative Uh, I talked to them one-on-one and did what most assistant principals would do, listened, took notes, had them write out exactly what they did, and they were actually very cooperative, admitting to what had happened until I ran into this one young lady. I'm going to call her Lizzie. And as I talked to Lizzie, she was insistent that she was not involved. And as I began to press her and put on my interrogator assistant principal hat, I said something like this, Lizzie, I know it's hard to admit when you've done something wrong, but not cooperating is not going to help you as we talk about appropriate consequences for breaking into someone's locker. And this is what we saw in the video. Well, Lizzie began to cry. I promise it wasn't me, she said. So finally, I asked her to take a seat in the office waiting area to think about her actions. And I would talk to her again later after I questioned some other students. Now, I want to come back to that scenario later in this conversation in today's episode, but I've been thinking about that day recently because I was talking to some new principals about how do you effectively manage student discipline in your school. I believe that incidents like that can often become some of the hardest and most difficult parts of a school leader's work because as a school leader, you spend a lot of time managing many scenarios But in your work with student discipline, often the pressure involved and the emotions involved for students or parents or yourself can often be overwhelming. 
And when you're managing especially difficult student discipline scenarios, you can lose a lot of time on other important matters like classroom observations or scheduled team meetings. But I believe that there are some practices that, if you keep in mind, can help student discipline become something that over time becomes easier. I don't believe it ever becomes easy, but I do believe that over time, when you rely on best practices, it can help streamline some of those practices so that over time you learn how to conduct those things without them overwhelming you. Now, recently, I've been looking at a great book by Jen Schwenk called You're the Principal, Now What? That was published in 2016, and a big shout out to Jen Schwenk. That book has been a fantastic read for new principals, and I was looking through her chapter on student discipline where she shares some helpful and practical tips, including things like empowering your teachers to be involved in student discipline, clarifying when that problems reach you, that you take the lead in deciding the discipline, knowing your district's handbooks and policies, knowing how to differentiate discipline, because sometimes you need to do that depending on the kinds of kids you're working with, prioritizing student safety, learning how to investigate situations fully, learning how to use time as your friend, getting second opinions, avoiding group consequences, and involving parents. And if you'd like to check out Jen's great book. I'm going to link to it in my show notes. I highly recommend it because her book also includes lots of other scenarios and challenges faced by school leaders. And as I was thinking about her feedback on student discipline, I was remembering some previous posts that I've made on my podcast or in my blog or in my books. Specifically, I've shared before some practical takeaways in communicating during student discipline. And for just a moment, I want to touch on seven important takeaways that I think you should keep in mind as you're trying to effectively manage student discipline. So let me just start by diving into these seven. Number one, it's important that you communicate about student discipline first in writing. Specifically, let's talk about your handbooks. When you know your school's or district's policies and procedures ahead of time and you've placed those in writing and you've provided copies of those for your school community members, then you always have a strong guide for school-wide expectations and enforcement. And believe it or not, I still run into schools where handbooks aren't well-written. But handbooks are the guide for the decisions that you're going to be making. Now, they don't replace wise decision-making, but without them, you will be open to inconsistent or even possibly litigious practice. So know your ground rules ahead of time and make sure that you have your expectations explained in writing. Number two, communicate in person. It's really important that you have talked to students about expectations. I know I'm saying some things to you that may be no-brainers, but I think, think sometimes they're good reminders of best practices. Students need to see and hear from you face-to-face about what your expectations are for their behavior. And that's why I'm a big fan of small group meetings with students at the start of each school year where possible. Now, I know in larger school populations that that's hard to do, but whatever your school population, whether you're talking to 2,000 kids or 150, it's important that you can communicate in a place where you can see them face-to-face. And I particularly like breaking my kids into groups that and it takes sometimes days, but meeting with them in small groups so that I can have the opportunity to look into their eyes, to build rapport with them, and then to go over with them what my expectations are for that school year in person. Number three, it's important that you communicate consistently. 
you have predetermined consequences and rewards because students thrive in environments where they know what is expected and then they see those expectations enforced firmly, fairly, and consistently. And this is best done when you've already decided ahead of time, where possible, what actions to take for common than expected behaviors. And you must keep those consequences closely tied to the level of student safety that's involved. So number three, communicate consistently. Number four, communicate to parents, preferably before, during, and after discipline. Parents are likely to partner with you more when you keep them informed along the way. When they hear from you through positive communication, then they're also most likely to trust you and support you in your decisions when you have to communicate something that's negative. So when dealing with student discipline especially, it's important that you keep parents informed as an important part of being on the same page. Sometimes I've often seen principals who think, well, this was a small situation. I've communicated this to a student. It's been corrective or disciplinary. Their parents will call me if they are concerned. What I've found is if you don't reach out to parents first, what they hear from their kids may not be exactly what you communicated. So save yourself the time that you're going to have to put in later to re-explain something by just reaching out to parents during before or during or after discipline so that they understand exactly your perspective on what happened. Number five, communicate with your superiors. You want to eliminate surprises for those who are going to have to support you. So in addition to students and parents, those supervisors that you have, you need to keep them in the know when it comes to student discipline, especially in situations they may have to address later with concerns or possible appeals. Number six, communicate with your team. Now, I know sometimes things have to be kept confidential in student discipline, but where possible, if teachers have referred kids to you or they're aware of something that they brought to your attention, follow up in some manner to let them know you've managed it. That way, the teacher who's referred them to you, if they're curious or anxious, knows the situation's been taken care of. So do the courtesy of keeping them informed where appropriate. And number seven, communicate for the future reference. In other words, document. If you don't write down what you've done, if you don't keep notes of your conversations, then it, in essence, didn't happen. And you at least want to not be held liable later if something comes back that you have to explain or defend. Documentation takes time and it can be a hassle, but good documentation provides you with consistent reporting and follow-up and records for any future questions or concerns. So let me just repeat those seven quickly. Communicate in writing, communicate in person, communicate consistently, communicate to parents, communicate with superiors, communicate with your team, and communicate for future reference. Last month, Dr. Samir Hunduja, a professor in the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Florida Atlantic University, presented at the National Middle Level Educators Conference in Orlando, Florida. And as I heard him speak about um, his research in cyberbullying and in school culture, he shared three frameworks for discipline that in his research, he's been able to look at what kinds of models create strong school culture. The three models that he talked about in his research were permissive models, authoritarian models, and authoritative models. And I, I want to touch on those as we wrap up this conversation, because I think it's important for you to understand why the ways that you're communicating about student discipline matters. First of all, a permissive model is a school where there is low discipline expectations, but high social emotional support. So you might have a lot of supports and wraparounds for students, 
but you have very low expectations and follow through in terms of student behavior. An authoritarian model is the flip of that. You've got high expectations for discipline, high enforcement, but low social or emotional support. And those schools tend to have very heavy-handed leaders, but are not very strong in terms of wraparound services for kids. The third model, which is the best model, is the authoritative model. And these are schools that are high on discipline, expectations, and enforcement, and high on social, emotional support and wraparound services for students. In fact, in the research that Dr. Hunduja presented, he said that in surveying students and teachers from schools in authoritative models, 97% of them indicated that they feel safer in those environments. The biggest takeaway from his presentation for me is that strong cultures require both strong discipline and strong student support. It's just like parenting. You must consistently enforce expectations while also providing strong emotional and social support if students are going to have places where they're going to learn and thrive. Let's go back to my first story at the beginning of today's conversation to wrap this up. As Lizzie waited outside my office during my investigations of the locker incidents back in my early admin days, I called in several more students for questioning. And one boy in particular began to list the other students who had participated in the locker break-ins. And this was helpful because as I talked to him, I was taking notes and he mentioned someone I had not identified, a female student whom I didn't have on my list. So I went back and I looked at the video footage and I realized that the girl he mentioned looked a lot like Lizzie. So I pulled Lizzie back in to this conversation. It had been a long day. I had had to interview students and call parents and retrieve missing items and assign appropriate school discipline. But I knew that there was something really important that I needed to do more than anything else. And that was to apologize. Because sometimes in all the expectations that we have in school discipline, we get it wrong. And when we do, in addition to all of those important reminders, we need to remember to be human and to show grace and humility when we're doing our work, because sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. And so as Lizzie was sitting in front of me, I said, Lizzie, I'm so sorry that I wrongly accused you, that I didn't believe you when you told me the truth. I feel horrible for putting you through this situation. Can you forgive me? And to my surprise, she said, it's okay, Mr. Parker. I know it must be hard doing your job and we all make mistakes. And you know what? She was right. You do have a hard job whether it's instructional leadership or school culture or student supervision or organizational planning, you have a lot on your plate. And this week, I just wanted to remind you that school discipline, I know, is one of the hardest parts of your job. But as you think about the importance of authoritative cultures, places that hold students to high standards while also enforcing them consistently while maintaining the dignity of students, I want to remind you that you have the ability to build a school community where students feel safe to learn, but also know that they can trust the people who are holding them accountable. You are never going to do school leadership perfectly, so give yourself some grace. Remember to reach out to those around you who can help. Do the best you can with the practices that you have before you, and when you mess up, you apologize and you move on. And when it comes to student discipline, know that in the end, even our best practices 
generally produce strong cultures with stronger student learning and growth, even in the middle of our mistakes. So now it's your turn. Today, I want you to think about those authoritative, authoritarian, and permissive models. What kinds of culture do you think your students or teachers would say is being practiced in your school? How can you revisit those practices with your team to ensure high expectations and high support are happening? And what is one step that you can take today to model the best approach, to model both strong expectations and strong support for your kids? If you'd like to see other posts on school discipline, I've got several on my website, one called Seven Tips for Dealing with Challenging Students, one called Eight Tips for Disciplining with Dignity. You can always search those on my site at williamdparker.com, or you can check out some chapters in my books, Principal Matters or Messaging Matters, where I talk about student discipline there as well. Until next time, I hope that this has been helpful. If it has, please share it out with other school leaders. If you'd like to stay connected with me, you can reach me by email at will at williamdparker.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WilliamDP or Instagram at, at William underscore D underscore Parker. Thank you again for all the work that you do because what you do matters. And I'll talk to you soon.